Hey, to all the real estate professionals out there, I want to let you know The Buyer's Mind is sponsored by Homebridge Financial. Homebridge loan officers are experts in new home financing, and they bring sales ideas and strategies and market intelligence and programs that will help sell homes. To learn more about that, go to builder.homebridge.com. Homebridge Financial, home financing made easy. So how creative are you? Well, if you're in the world of sales, you better be plenty creative. Let's get into it today on The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Well, greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore, and this is the podcast where we really get into the idea of how do our customers think? How do we think? How do we make sure we make it easy for people to do what they want to do anyway? And, you know, when we think about our role as sales professionals, there are a lot of attributes that we have to have, right? Positive energy is going to be really a critical attribute. Uh, certainly, wisdom and intelligence about our product, about the world around us, about our competition. These are all very, very important. But today, we're going to look at a very specific attribute called creativity. And when we we think about creativity, it manifests in a lot of different ways. But as we get into that, as we think that through, uh, it's really, really critical. And perhaps it's overlooked much of the time. Joined, as always, by our show producer, Paul Murphy. Uh, Murph, do you consider yourself to be a creative guy? You know, I've been struggling with that question more lately. I, I do a lot of technical stuff uh, between the editing and putting things together. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, all of us have a little bit of a creative bent. It's just a matter of how we apply it. Yeah, I think that that's true. I think that there's a, a scale that there's there that everybody has creativity in them, we tend to look at people who are very outgoing and flamboyant, the artist types, and say, well, they're very creative. But I don't know. I'm not so sure that we've got that right. I think creativity uh, can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And even if, if I look at somebody who's working in a lab asking the question, what is this problem over here? And how exactly do we approach it? What if we did it this way? Well, that takes a lot of creative genius to rethink uh, the way that you've always done something. And so I think that creativity is going to be really critical. And we want to get into that today as we talk to Andy Paul. Now, uh, Andy and I, we've known each other for years. He's just one of the really great uh, sales thinkers, the host of the Accelerate podcast. And we were, we were talking about that, about the idea of creativity and what it means. And, and it's a great conversation because it leads us into the idea of how do we build that creative muscle? Let's hear from Andy Paul. Well, I'm thrilled to have back on the buyer's mind, the great Andy Paul. I say he's great because he's just a great guy. He's also a really, really smart sales thinker. He's one of the best sales thinkers out there. He is the host of the Accelerate Sales Podcast over many years, uh, several books out there, and uh, all kinds of online programs through the sales house. Of course, we're going to put all that in the show notes. But uh, more than anything, he's just a really, really good guy to spend time with. And Andy Paul, welcome back to The Buyer's Mind. Jeff, thank you for having me back. Yeah, I know. It's always fun. You started your podcast, The Accelerated Podcast, uh, way back when, before anybody else was doing it. I mean, you've got one of the oldest sales podcasts uh, on the books. Well, that's been four and a half years. So, yeah. yeah well, that's in, in podcast years. That's that's a long time. It's like, like dog years, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, we're, let's see this week. I think we just put out episode 753. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's great. And you know, it's one of those things about podcasts that's really interesting is that, um, you know, you, you look and you go, well, there's the, you got to line up the guests and you got to do all of the recording and the editing and all of that, the marketing and all around that. But the fact of the matter is you wouldn't be doing it at this point in your very illustrious career if you didn't absolutely love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, as I tell people, it's the most selfish thing I've ever done because right. it's given me the excuse to talk to seven, roughly 750 really smart people about yeah. sales, leadership, management. I've learned and taken away as much as people that are in the audience. Right, right. When you look at sales and and general and your career in sales over time, I'm sure there's been a lot of evolution. But but is there an area that you look at and say, you know what, this is something that I'm pretty darn passionate about, or that I have a, I think I have a pretty strong aptitude towards? Is there one area of sales that you really tend to focus in on? Well, I mean, before I started my my own company, it was I was selling large enterprise communication systems. So mm -hmm. satellite communication systems to big companies around the world. But sort of the twist on it, though, is, is I was doing it for startups. So we were startups selling huge infrastructure projects against big name, you know, established technology companies. And right. that sort of became my my sweet spot was, yeah, we know how to win in those situations. And so, you know, we were taking deals sometimes there were multiples of our revenue as a company. Yeah, it required a lot of lot of uh, creativity and credibility to be able to get that done. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that, that creativity and credibility, uh, especially on the creativity side, you know, I think one thing that people don't quite understand is how important your short-term problem-solving skills are in the world of sales. Because let's face it, in sales, so much of our life, I don't want to say we're making stuff up. That wouldn't be the right way to characterize it. But we're ad-libbing. We're improvising a lot. <laughs> we're taking a situation we've never heard before and having to say to a client, well, I think you should do this. And you got to have both the the wisdom and the confidence to be able to do that. Maybe that's what prevents a lot of people from succeeding in the sales business in the first place. Well, I think it does. Because right? when you use the word improv, is that oftentimes gets interpreted by people listening and saying, well, geez, I think I can talk my way out of any situation. So mm -hmm. I must be good at improv. And yeah. the fact is, if you look at actors and comedians that came out of the improv world, it's it's a highly developed skill mm -hmm. to be able to react in the moment and come up with something that's creative and funny and so on. And it's similar in sales. I mean, it's this is not, hey, I'm going to make it up as I go. This is I'm leaning on my experience. I'm leaning on the skills I have in order to be responsive and in the moment in a way that's appropriate to help the buyer. And yeah, so yeah, being flexible, adaptable, hugely, hugely important and being creative. Ultimately, you know, sales is a creative endeavor. It really, really is. And it's funny because when you look at it, as you explore that idea of improv on the fly, it's if you're in improv and look, I, I have just a little bit of theater arts background, but but certainly can't say that I could hold my own in an improv troupe. I don't think I could. Uh, but when I look at that, it's not just having the right solution, but it's also the sensitivity to the tone and the timing and the delivery and the way that you're uh, mm -hmm. interacting with your partner there. So even as a salesperson, yeah, I, what I have seen is that somebody may have the right answer, but it's delivered poorly, and then it doesn't really matter. We're going to lose all the credibility in the answer. 
Yeah, and it's really it's a matter of what you're aiming for. And I, this is to me is really the one of the real big things. I'm spending more and more time thinking about is you know, we're training salespeople to focus on the wrong thing. And it's I think it's getting you know, amplified by the way we're using the technology within sales. Is that if you remember Gartner a couple of years ago put out this uh, buyer enablement study and they had this chart they put up it was this spaghetti what they call spaghetti diagram very complex flow chart for how buyers walk through the decision making process and it's not a linear stage-based process like a sales process it comprises four jobs that need to get done but they said they call it the spaghetti diagram because it's all these lines going everywhere it's like you took a handful of cooked spaghetti and threw it on the wall Mm -hmm. and but they identified these four jobs buyers have to get done buyers have to get done identify the problem research possible solutions, build the requirements, select a vendor. And what we're doing is we're training everybody to focus on select a vendor Mm -hmm. where all the action takes place and them, the first three jobs and how they define how they're going to get their problem solved. And that's, that's where we need to be focusing salespeople is how do you help the buyer define how they're going to solve their problem or achieve their desired outcomes. And if you do that, then when you get to that vendor selection stage, you're in the catbird seat. Do you believe that there has been a fundamental shift in that regard since the evolution of the internet really took hold and the ubiquity of information that's out there really would have changed the salesperson's job is to look at it and say it's no longer just about disseminating information, but now that salesperson's job by necessity has to be elevated into that sense of partnership. I know that's that's not not everybody's going to agree with that. Is that your take? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that it's so easy to default into this idea that buyers are self-educated and yada, Mm -hmm. yada, yada. But if you're selling anything that's not transactional with any level of complexity, they need your help. They want your help. And when you look at this Gartner chart, unfortunately, you could sort of play Where's Waldo on it. And Mm -hmm. I've I've done this with groups. I said, find the word sales on this chart because it only shows up (laughs) once. And it's buried in in a lower right-hand corner. But that reflects the fact that buyers typically don't find value in the interactions with the sellers, right? They don't have the, the acumen, the business smarts to be able to say, yeah, okay, you've got this problem. Well, let's think about how we can solve that, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a consequence, they're not really assuming they're going to need sellers. But if you're the right seller, they want you, they need you, and you're going to position yourself extremely well by being able to work with them. Yeah, it is interesting when we look at the, yes, there is a lot of information out there. There's no question. And my take on it is that buyers are self-educated to an extent, but if they were self-educated enough to buy, they probably wouldn't be talking to a salesperson. Mm-hmm. There are there are simply too many options out there right now where I can bypass the salesperson. So by very the very nature of the fact that they're having a conversation, it's kind of a clue, right? I, I, I don't know what to do next. Now you could pick it up from here. I think people very rarely wake up in the morning and think, you know, I'd love to talk to a salesperson today. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think that happens, right? It's, yeah. It doesn't mean they don't like you once they get to know you and so on. But yeah, it's not at the top of their list. And right. if they could get their job done without it and feel that confident that they made the right decision, sure. But I think the the desire and the need to speak with sales in large part comes from people trying to mitigate their own risk, right? How do I validate these these potential options I have? How do I know these are the right options for me to consider? 
yeah, I can sort of look at it objectively, but it should be good, uh, great to talk to somebody that has some expertise in this to help me. Let's talk about your the coaching that you've done with salespeople, because I know you've done a lot of one-on-one uh, uh, coaching here in the past. We're talking to Andy Paul. You can follow him on andypaul.com. You can also look at this, The Sales House, which is a great online resource for salespeople. Uh, Andy, you've done a lot of work with salespeople one-on-one, and one of the things that we know is that salespeople tend to be... Um, more more of the passionate ilk they they are certainly in touch with the emotional side but they're also human beings and so when we get into that conversation where we're dealing with a difficult buyer we're dealing with somebody who is who is uh, difficult to deal with they're they're emotional in a negative way and it naturally triggers because we're human beings it naturally triggers on an emotional sense or perhaps even a threat sensitivity that would take me off of the game that is going to really be most effective here that needs to be played so what counseling what coaching do you give to salespeople when it comes to dealing with difficult people or buyers who are bringing you negative energy <laughs> it's you know, that, that is such an individual answer because it has to do with the person themselves, you know, the seller themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just relate a story about what I've typically done over the years. And it, it fits me as a, as a person, you know, if, if I'm dealing with somebody who's a, a difficult buyer and, and I, I, I tend to tease them. Yeah. I tend to try to prick their bubble of self-importance. Mm-hmm. And so but that fits my personality. I've got sort of this wry, sarcastic sense of humor. And, and it's worked wonderfully for me. Is, mm-hmm. you know, I get people to stop feeling so self-important. Where, hey, we're just people. We're dealing on this. You're, you're, you're no more important than I am. Let's just let's talk on a human level and, and let's get this done. It, but that's not going to work for everybody. Right. So you but, start but, to, but the approach it, says, first and foremost, that y- you are not going to control the emotional tone of this conversation. No. No, I mean, it's just, yeah, people, I, I have no control over my buyers. I mean, this, I've always sort of raged against this idea that we control our buyers. We don't, but mm-hmm. you know, we can sort of try to level the playing field a little bit. And so that was always just a, a big thing for me is, is yeah, I didn't want people talking down to me. I didn't care who they were, so on. And so that was just the way my, I would find a way in early in the first conversation to send a shot mm-hmm. kind of you know, passive aggressive, but it, it, it worked and mm-hmm. you know, people stopped taking themselves less seriously. Yeah. And, but again, that's not going to be for everyone. So I try to work with the individual say, well, you know, what's, what's going to happen for you in this, this scenario. And generally it's taking the high road is that if you're, if you just refuse to rise to the bait, yeah, eventually people will give up on trying to bait you. And that's what a lot of that behavior is, right? Somebody's trying to assert themselves in a dominant sort of way and just don't take it. And yeah, yeah, again, find that's also very successful. Sometimes you have to do that. Um, Yeah, one example of a a company, a big deal we're working on, a very big deal, one of the biggest deals this company had ever taken. And and, um, yeah, we were just being hammered by VP of operations over a point of quality control and mm-hmm. yeah, I just wouldn't rise to the bait and eventually he just gave up, you know, trying to bait us. And I think he was favoring one of our competitors. So he's trying to bait me into making a mistake or say something that they could use against it and just don't rise to it mm-hmm. and eventually gave up. Right. 
Well, listen, if if they're if you've got a buyer who's got that edge to them, that difficult to them, it's possible that they're coming uh, at you with their own version of fear. And the fear might very well be that I've not had the best experiences with sales professionals in the past. And so, sure. you know, we're bringing in that they're almost looking to initiate their confirmation bias to see if you are going to be like all of the other worthless people that I have in my mind. So, <laughs> right. Well, it's it's funny that I remember the story. I saw an interview with Jerry Seinfeld within the last few years. And yeah. His father was a salesperson. And he tells the story mm-hmm. about his father. His father had this game he liked to play with customers. If it was, he ran into a difficult customer and you know, he wasn't uh, you know, reasonably sure he wasn't going to get any business out of him. Nonetheless, he had played this game. I think he called it Happy Faces. He would do anything to get the person to smile. Mm-hmm. And so he'd play this game with himself. It's, yeah, I'm not even going to get business, but I'm going to spend a few minutes just to see if I can get a rise out of this person. Right. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was great because I thought, yeah, I've done that in the past. I mean, somebody I know, they're going to kick me out of the office. But in the meantime, I'm going to have some fun with this. Right. Yeah. Well, because the worst case scenario is that they're negative. You go negative. Uh, guess what? It's a zero sum game. You both lost. Right. Yeah. So I'll <laughs> you know? go positive. I'll try to, you know, I'll try to do something to provoke them. But uh, yeah. So, yeah. but those, you know, those are days where we were doing, you know, 30, 40 cold calls a day in person mm-hmm. or out in the field. You, you were in yeah. those days too. It's like. Yeah, you are a lot of that gets masked when you've got somebody on the phone because they just seem abrupt or whatever. But when you see them in person, you've got this body language thing and you can see their face and you can see like, you know, uh, yeah, they don't really want me here at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what what can I do? It's interesting and creative today. And let me just pause here real quick for a quick word about our sponsor, Novi Home. Well, this podcast is sponsored by Novi Home. Novi Home is a digital sales and marketing tool that gives your new home sales team everything they need for powerful follow-up. In our changing environment, Novi Home allows you to engage buyers when you're not face-to-face. Novi Home offers your buyers a phenomenal digital buying experience that is personalized for your company. Novi Home also takes all of your marketing materials and plugs it into your branded builder app. Novi Home's analytics give your sales team real-time insight into which leads are engaging and exactly what they are looking at, which enables powerful follow-up. Visit novihome.com to schedule a demonstration today. That's novihome.com. Listeners of this podcast will save 10% on the monthly service. All right, back into our topic now. Now, you just said uh, the, the C word, which is the type of time of this recording uh, still means coronavirus, but uh, you use the cold calling word. Uh, Andy, you and I are a part of the same tribe of sales thinkers and authors and speakers. And even in the tribe, uh, there has been uh, an ongoing debate about whether cold calling is dead, whether that's uh, something that belongs in a different era. What's your take on cold calling? Well, I mean, it depends on your definition, but as long as you prepare, I mean, I think outbound prospecting is hugely important. I mean, I think maybe for different, I don't subscribe to perhaps all the theories that some people do about, you know, hey, your average deal size is higher if it's a deal you develop yourself versus an inbound or, you know, particularly to close is higher. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, we don't, haven't sort of perfected the whole lead gen thing where, you know, we get all this, I get a, a bunch of leads that are specifically tailored to what we need. And these are right. great prospects and they're all, we know hurt. the demographic in this zip code and yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. That's utopia, but we mm-hmm. don't live in utopia. So as, mm-hmm. as depending on how your sales team is structured, if you have prospecting responsibility yourself, as well as, you know, full cycle sales, you got to make sure you've set your schedule up in such a way and done your preparation in such a way that you're targeting the accounts that you think would be the 
fit your ICP, that have the best potential for you, that you're doing that proactively, you got to. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't count on inbound. Right. Yeah, uh, I guess. And you're right. It does depend on the definition. Uh, you know, I, I certainly, you know, w- when I when I go back to my early days of uh, sales and, and this would have been real estate in the 1980s. So it was a, a, a different world. But sure enough, you know, here's a reverse phone directory, which gives you phone numbers mm-hmm. by streets. You open it up, you pick up the phone, you say, hey, are you thinking about selling your house? And, you know, that's that's <laughs> what you were forced to do. And yeah. I think that's, that so many people today look at cold calling like that, like I'm just randomly dialing numbers and asking random questions, which is, of course, not the case. I mean, the uh, the the opportunity that we have to learn at least a little bit about the person that we're about to call is pretty significant. It's, it's a I don't I don't think most salespeople who have been minted in the last fifteen years have any idea how much the internet has helped us to make proactive prospecting <laughs> so much easier than it ever would have been in the past. Oh yeah, yeah. We had was it Hoover's I think business directory. Yeah, uh, Hoover's. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and yeah. and we we were looking for prospects with a certain SIC code. Mm-hmm. Which was, you know, standard what standardized industry code. Yeah. So we were targeting to some degree, right? That look yep. in my territory. In my case, I was working in based off Oakland, California, in the East Bay, uh-huh. San Francisco uh-huh. Bay Area. Yeah, and yeah, I, I would say, okay, yeah, I wanted to. Well, I was selling computers. I was selling to the construction trade. I was selling specifically to general contractors and and uh, uh, infrastructure, kind of like mm-hmm. you know, road and and so on. So yeah, there's an SIC code for that. I I would do the the research I could, and then, but you know we had no way to go online, look at press releases, look at jobs they'd done. You know I, we all subscribed to the local business journal and we read that. And but yeah, it took a little more work. Yeah, but we weren't. Sure. Yeah, we couldn't argue that we were uh, precisely targeted as you could be today in terms of right. knowing who is who in that company you could call. And but I was giving the story to, to people, you know, to take it one step further though. Is is so when I was working for. Uh, startups in the satellite industry for a number of years. You know, I'd, I'd have to go cold call British Telecom from California to mm-hmm. see who was the person to talk to at uh, about satellite communications, specifically these types of satellite communications. You know, I was doing the phone you yeah. know, from from San Diego, long distance. Yeah, at that time, oh, long distance. Very expensive. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was like, uh, yeah, I mean, that was still that was cold calling. I, I, that was literally cold calling. I had no idea who was there. And so I'm right. calling, you know, the national phone company of Britain at that time and saying, who can I talk to? Right. Yeah. How about that? Uh, y- you worked in Oakland. Where did you live when you were working in Oakland? Well, initially, I lived right by Lake Merritt. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Until I started having strangers walk into my apartment too frequently. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then I had a colleague that he was renting a house. Actually, it was in Berkeley. Um on the top at uh, Grizzly Peak Road on the top of the Berkeley Hills. And yeah. we rented this house from a Berkeley professor and his wife. It was four of us lived there. <laughs> it was this house with just an incredible view of San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge, right. the Bay Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was nice. I love it. I love it. Sort of party, sort of party central too, but yeah, you yeah you think the way you described it, I would I would think so. I didn't I didn't yeah. mention I didn't mention the the redwood stand up hot tub is you know it was you stood in it it was yeah it was, it was nice yeah very nice very nice and listen I I am on I heard through the grapevine here that uh, you've had some changes in regards to your podcast these days. We have you know we we um, we sold our podcast. We were acquired. How about that? 
Yeah. 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 It was very exciting. And uh, so we were teaming up with uh, Ring DNA, who's based mm-hmm. in the LA area in Sherman Oaks, and they're the leading sales enablement platform. Great product uh, for sales teams that are doing great work for clients in this remote work environment. And yeah, um, yeah we're we're going to be investing a lot into our podcast. We're going to sort of do a relaunch and a rebrand, uh, refresh, if you will, let's say. Yeah, and uh, even produce more episodes than we're doing now. And yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 fabulous. You know, I love the people there, the management team, very smart people, and uh, you know, they have a very common vision with me in terms of what sales is, what sales should be, right? How to best execute sales, and so yeah, the alignment is great, and uh, yeah, we're we're very very excited about it. That's awesome. That's 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 great. Look forward to to hearing about those changes. One last thing, Andy. Here, let's just talk sure. about how let's say, talk about how you take care of yourself. I, I know you're the type of person. You know, we as I mentioned, we are belong to the same tribe of. Uh, people, mm-hmm. uh, sales thinkers and writers and authors and all of that. And there are some people in the tribe who are just like complete workaholics. You'll sleep when you die. That's the way it is. Uh, when <laughs> I'm not working, what do I like to do? I like to work. And I don't think this describes uh, either Jeff Shore or Andy Paul. Uh, talk a little bit about just philosophically about your desire, your need really to take care of yourself and live life the right way. It's a great question. Yeah, I've... I've um been, you know, exercise fanatic, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much my entire life, certainly my, in my adult life. And I've never sort of fallen off that wagon. So, the, you know, the fitness and exercise to me has been such an integral part of what I do because, and who I am, because, you know, I think it helps my performance and everything else I do. And so it's not just, uh, you know, physical fitness. I think it contributes to the, the mental fitness as well. Spending 20 years running my own business before this, this recent, uh, sale of the podcast is I worked when I needed to, but you know, sort of the joke among friends who talk about the tribe, uh, fellow sales authors and so on is, mm-hmm. is, you know, the joke when people call me is, so where's Andy Paul today? And they didn't mean where am I on business travel, but right. <laughs> where am I having, out having fun? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I prioritize that mm-hmm. is yeah. Going out and yeah, I made I may go on vacation. You and I both share a love of Maui. We spend a lot mm-hmm. of time there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a typical day for me in Maui, though, is I'll wake up. We'll go, my wife and I will go out and exercise. You know, I'll go for a run. Maybe we'll do a yoga class, eat breakfast. And then, yeah, she's got a demanding job as well. As we'll just work for a couple hours till like noon. And right. then the rest of the day, it's to us. You know, my mm-hmm. first Mai Tai is at lunch. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we just try to seamlessly blend it in a way that it's, it's, um, integrating what we do, but it, it's not driving us. But here's why I think that's so important. And 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 part of this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to channel Dan Sullivan, who f- founded the Strategic Coach Movement. But, but the idea that if you are in a creative business, you and I are in a creative business, I believe that everybody mm-hmm. listening to this uh, podcast right now is in a creative business. The, the brain needs its uh, rest. It needs to be able to disengage. And we start thinking, you know, if, you, if you're entrepreneurial minded, if you want to be a successful salesperson, it's charge, 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 go, go, go. And you better be cranking out uh, all, you know, all the time income producing stuff. But isn't it so much better to rest your brain and go for the more higher value opportunities in life? Well, yeah. Well, I think it sort of reflects the way I sold throughout my career, which was, mm-hmm. yeah, I probably early in my career, probably scared the hell out of my manager because I 
you know, today I laugh, you know, people talk about that. Oh, we need five X coverage of our pipeline. That's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I ran about one and a half, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I always, I always hit my number and right. exceeded my number and, you know, president's club and, you know, grew these startups. Cause I thought, geez, yeah, I'm going to find prospects and I'm going to qualify the hell out and make sure they're worth my time. And so it was you know, strict prioritization throughout. And I tried to train salespeople to work for me the same way as why do we work on 10 prospects if we need to make sure we close three? So let's work on five. Mm -hmm. And if we were ideally, we would work on three really big ones and crush our number. Sure. Um, so that sort of, you know, carries over, I think, into my personal life and, and my entrepreneurial life, which was, yeah, we're going to prioritize on the high leverage activities and then enjoy ourselves. Uh, his name is Andy Paul. You can find him at andypaul.com and definitely subscribe to the Accelerate podcast. You can find it wherever good podcasts are listed, iTunes, Stitcher, you name it. Uh, Andy, as always, so good to have you on the program. Thanks for spending time with us today. Jeff, thanks for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, there you have it, Murphy. Just a, a real sort of free-flowing conversation. Uh, I, so, you know, sometimes when I'm doing one of these podcasts, I script all of my questions out specifically. But with Andy, I don't do it. I let the the conversation just sort of go where it's going to go. Um, but uh, just a really, really interesting guy. And Andy's cool because he he's interesting and he's intriguing. But you know he's not that in-your-face style at all, right? It, 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 he's 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 an interesting cat, isn't he? Well, and I love the way that, you know, he approaches sales in that, you know, it's not about, you know, he talked about the fact that you wanted to have 10 leads going at the same time. But if you won't know that only, you know, three of them are actually going to be on it, why not focus on the three, aim for five, and when you land your three, you've still got your numbers. Yeah, right. And and especially as it relates to what we were talking about, this idea of creativity, this idea of improv, it's not just the right solution, it's also the delivery. Well, when we think about that, if I'm only going to focus on those three that really matter, which is Andy's advice right there, well, what am I going to do? See, if I'm focusing on all of these different leads, then I'm going to let my CRM send out a bunch of form uh, emails to all of these people, and there's nothing creative about it. But if I'm going to focus on those high value targets, and then what am I going to do? I'm going to start looking at those targets individually and say, what do those people, how does, how can I help that person very specifically? How can I solve a problem that they don't even know that they have? What would that look like right now? And that's where that creativity comes into place. I think too often we get into ruts, we get into routines. And look, I'm all about having a disciplined follow-up system. There, there's no question about it. But when I'm relying on my CRM in its entirety to do all of that follow-up for me, then I'm robbing of the opportunity to really come up with something creative, to come up with something interesting that is custom-tailored to that customer. And I think that that's really what Andy was talking about. Even when we talked about the, you know, the spaghetti diagram for the buyer enablement, that flow chart thing, uh, as he was describing it, you know, it depersonalizes the people that we are talking to every day. And if we want to have that sense of partnership and we really want to serve, then we have to look beyond just what is the next form letter that I'm going to send out? I need to look at it and say, for the customer who's standing in front of me right now, what are they What are they not telling me? What are the messages between the lines? How can I dig deeper in order to understand them on a deeper level? And then when I do that, that's what gets the creative juices flowing. 
So if you're a sales professional, I want to recommend that for you today to look at it and ask yourself the question. Just take somebody that you've been working with already and ask, boy, how can I just do a deep dive and exercise my creative muscle here for that customer? What do they need that even they don't know they need? What problem can I solve that they don't even know that they have right now? And if you look at it from that perspective, it's going to change your way of thinking. It's going to get you into that deeper idea of what can can I do? What can I do to be able to provide a tremendous amount of service for that person through that creative opportunity? You know, it's always good for us to be able to get beyond ourselves. And when we stop and we just daydream a little bit about our customers and ask, what is it that they're going through and how can I solve that problem? We're going to be so much better off. So don't just listen right now. And even if you're agreeing, don't just sit there and nod your head. Apply it to somebody. Apply it to somebody that you are working with right now. Find the creative way to solve your customer's problem. And when you do that, you'll have the opportunity to change their world. 